I'm always never going to say marketing does everything, but marketing can support a lot. We yes. are the one that bring everything together. So being able to have that dialogue with the product strategy and others helps to really shape a product's mm -hmm. value proposition that is really in sync with what we have to offer. We believe that to solve the biggest, most complex marketing problems, you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason, imagination and logic, the theoretical and the practical. Join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading B2B marketers on B2B Marketing Solved. We're your hosts, Richard and Benedict. In a COVID-enforced interruption to the schedule, we're going to switch things up this week. Rather than the next instalment of B2B Marketing Solved, we're giving a guest spot to the CMO show, on which I recently caught up with Morel Adabi, CMO at Activity, to discuss brand building post M&A, and ended up talking about why we need to build marketing-led coalitions across businesses. None of the fancy recording equipment, but all of the same high-quality B2B marketing know-how. Enjoy, and see you next week. Welcome, Morel, and I believe you're joining us from Paris today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Benedict. Thank you. You're giving the show an international feel that I'm sure it's sorely needed. So that's great. I've only given you a very brief introduction there. So before we get into brand and mergers and acquisitions, the floor is yours. If you'd like to give the audience a little bit of an extra background about you, your sort of like most recent experience and what you're all about as a, as a marketer. Okay. That's, I'm going to try and be short, but that's a lot, <laughs> a lot that can be told. So actually I've been spending the past 18 years of my life working as a marketer. And what I love to say is that I feel that my role is about building some really solid marketing and communication powerhouses. And I've been doing that for fintech companies, uh, mostly French-based, but with a global footprint and working on their positioning and helping them grow further at a global level. So that's in a nutshell what I've been doing. Excellent. I mean, that was wonderfully concise. So that's absolutely <laughs> perfect. Now, as I mentioned, as we just saw, actually, from the sort of the power difficulties we had there, this is a live show, which means we have a live audience. So if anyone does have any questions that they'd like to pose to Morel at the end of the show, please pop them into the box and we'll be able to pick them up once we've got through the, the questions that we have planned. So today we're going to be talking about building brand through M&A. And I think as everyone can probably relate or certainly imagine, M&A can be one of the biggest upheavals a company goes through. So how can we navigate the turmoil and emerge with a brand that exceeds the sum of its parts? Now, Morel, I mean, I have spoken to you before and I'm very, very aware that you've actually had quite a lot of experience in that navigation that I've just referred to. Um, but most recently, you've been involved in a brand refresh of Ativity partly to respond to sort of the changing dynamics of the COVID marketplace, but also specifically to help align a number of legacy brands following a period of acquisitions. Now, I do have a breakdown of the companies, but I'm sure you will tell the story much better than me. So you returned to Ativity in 2020. Absolutely. What was the state of play? You know, what were the issues that needed addressing when you came back? So, as you said, I rejoined in 2020, but the story with ITVT dates back in 2016, even before ITVT was ITVT. The simplest way to describe it is a Russian doll. I first joined Ulink, that had at the time bought Nifix, that was in 2014. Then in 2018, Ulink was bought by ITVT, 
Then in 20, then in 2021, ITC was pulled by Broadridge. So there's different layers of branding and changes that had to be done at that time. When I rejoined in 2020, ITVT has already lived its life. That was what I call it for the second season, integrating Ulink, Nifix, and four or five other companies that had been already part of ITVT in 2016. So the issue was we had ITVT, we had a pandemic at the same time. There had been a first set of, or a first branding strategy that had been deployed to try and make this set of different six or seven tech stack one consistent offering. And things had been done, like the exercise was really cleanly done in terms of branding, the look and feel, and to try and make it appear as one. The challenge, especially with COVID, is as we all know as marketers, COVID just forced us to be much more digital. You could not apply what I would say was the traditional play of marketing. You had to be much more digital, much more offensive in a space that was that became very crowded by different, by everyone invading those new channels or channels that were not new, but maybe not necessarily as invested in as previously. So the challenge when I came in was, if I summarize it in two words, what my CEO asked me to do is go digital. And that was a translation of his vision on how activity should be perceived more, I'll say there are different layers. Make sure activity is perceived more as this fintech leader and innovator, not just a fintech that has been standing there for years, although we had legacy of 30 yeah. years of tech stack that were part of our value proposition, but really have this more disruptive feel in a positive way. And in it had also to impact on how we would deliver marketing and how we would make a good use of the digital channels and the digital tools that we as modern marketers now have at stake, I mean, have as a possible leverage to all activities. And for this, I had to review that the first exercise was, there was this activity branding, but that didn't resonate necessarily really well with how this positioning should be expressed and how we wanted to go to market. So the refresh that you mentioned earlier was about making sure that we could use whatever had been developed in terms of the look and feel, in terms of the, the tone of voice, in terms of how we present our value proposition to make it this, um, I wouldn't say necessarily upgraded, but this um, newly, re well, this refreshed <laughs> look and feel and positioning and all those. So it was really to say, and I think that's maybe one of the key challenges that we all have to remember of is when you think of a brand, you shouldn't think only of the tone of voice or how you want to look or the nice logo. You have to think how it's going to be expressing itself and yeah. thinking of the channels through which you want to express who you are, what you do and what you represent is as important as thinking of the traditional colors that people may like or not like that some, some people think branding is about. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. And I think that understanding the actual strategy which sits behind branding yes. rather than that sort of cosmetic element exactly. that can sometimes sit at the top is absolutely integral. So you spoke about sort of coming in, you've been given that brief about let's get this more digital. Yes. But you were dealt a sort of a hand where there were these legacy brands which yes. existed. And I know that, you know, there had been progress in, in bringing those together. But to what extent was the approach that you took dictated mm. by the need to make sure that those differences were reconciled and there was that sort of harmonization that was going on amongst the legacy brands? I would say to some extent, 
the although the challenge was huge coming back in 2020 yeah. when you think everything is halted like you know it was almost a state of situation covid mm-hmm. hits we can't use the same kind of channels we have this brand but we need to make it more in line with what we have in mind so this was a true challenge what was easy i would say was that the vision that our new CEO at the time, Rob Malkai, had was very much interconnected. It wasn't just marketing, make some magic out of nowhere and make us exist in a certain way. And products, the product over there is about something else. And the go-to-market from a sales perspective is something else. Everything was dictated by the vision that the company had. And marketing was directly a translation of what is the vision and the positioning we're trying to get. And that having this connection with what is our value prop? What is the offering that we have? Mm. And how can marketing leverage that or make that more consistent? And I would say, I mentioned product sales, but also HR. As a company, who are we trying to be? Having this consistency and this unique strategy that had to be deployed across all the different branches made it easy. And for activity, we have a platform. And the whole story was about just making people aware of this platform story, rather than saying we have a composite of six tech stacks. Mm -hmm. No, it's not about having different bits and pieces. It's about having an offering that is quite compelling, that covers different areas within trading and connectivity, and that as a whole can service our target audience. So it was complex and not an easy challenge because you had afterwards to make everything work together, the look and feel, the tone and others, Mm -hmm. but building that strategy considering how embedded it was with what was the what our CEO had in mind and how everything came together in a very consistent manner, that made it simple. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the vision certainly is yeah. that guiding light that I think all strategy needs and absolutely, absolutely marketing is an essential part of that. So you spoke around having that sort of that singular vision, which was yes. really helpful. And you talked about sort of how that translated and developing a consistent value proposition as well. Yeah. What, what involvement as a marketer did you have in shaping that value proposition? And also just the sort of additional element, which I'm really, really keen to sort of understand is how was it to, uh, you know, bringing together some different value propositions from the legacy brands to reach that point where there was that unified understanding of how you should be presenting yourself and the value that you should be offering to your marketplace? So, First on the value proposition, as I said, what made it easy was that the whole, there was already a vision that was defined, a strategy yeah. plan, but being able to be considered and to have marketing as a partner of the product strategy, I'm always never going to say marketing does everything, but marketing can support a lot. We yes. are the one that bring everything together. So being able to have that dialogue with the product strategy and others helps to really shape a product's mm-hmm a value proposition that is really in sync with what we have to offer. So this was really very much in the beginning and just talking about the platform story. And I would say I leveraged, I mentioned when I, when we began that I had 18 years in the space. Mm -hmm. So there's some level at some point of product understanding and some of the challenges within, especially capital markets that comes with it. So I think that this helped me to be able to have that really very, I'll say collaborative conversation with our chief product officer at the time to make sure that the platform vision and how we wanted to tell that story was what we needed to do and to build all our branding and others on the value proposition that the platform had to offer. That was the key part. 
That's great. And I think that well, clearly collaboration is, is key and yes. working very closely with, with product is good to hear. On the flip side of that, if you were to, to look back and almost be, I suppose, a harsh critic, where did it not quite work so well in terms of where were there potentially not those points of collaboration, which if you could have gone go back, you would do differently and would get a better result when it comes yeah. to sort of going through a branding process? To some extent, I'm not going to, without saying that all that was done between 2020 and 2021 was perfect and that there's nothing that I would challenge. It's more, I would say, lessons learned from what had been done that was once again a good exercise, but that I would have approached differently so that maybe we wouldn't have had to do more of a heavy lifting to get this Mm -hmm. well packaged together. I think that the first thing that I would bear in mind is what I'm saying that made my life easier as a marketer, having it really embedded with the strategy. What's the vision? If the vision changes, then we have to have something that is agile enough to adapt and change in, and to change consequently. I would say the first thing probably is a brand, as much as a brand is a reflection of what the company is and what the company is about, we have to remember that the key part is of course, the value proposition, but the perception is mm-hmm. who we, are we trying to target? Who are we, who is this, who are we trying to influence and who, to whom this story is targeted to? Yeah. If you don't think about this, you're missing the point. If you have to, especially when you talk about branding, you can have a lot of very emotional attachments that people may have. And when you're talking about six, I said text tax, but that's six different val- set of values. Six different ways of seeing the offering, six different ways of going to market. If you want to be able to go one step above that, you have to sort of neutralize and not think about what's the vision or the strategy coming from you, but what is the perception that your value proposition has in the market. So you Mm -hmm. almost have to reverse it. It's It's almost like it's not about you, it's about them. What does your target audience want? What is their perception of your value proposition? And start with that rather than trying to link together stories that do not quite completely fit because mm. you're trying to build as one. And you have to also agree that there'll be some sacrifices. You're not going to be able to capture each and everything. Yeah. And I think as marketers, sometimes, no matter what we're working for, platforms or different business solutions, we try to cover everything at once. You have to prioritize. It's not yeah. going to happen. What needs to come out of a branding exercise is the consistency and something that works together and that builds a story that you can develop further, but not try to capture each and everything. But brand equity is a key part and you have to be able to do that analysis with internal and external stakeholders, but assess, don't assume assess what is the real value of our solution or our offering today, not Mm -hmm. based on what you think it is, but based on an audit that you have to execute. I think this is one key element. It is. And I'm going to pick up on something you've you've talked about there. And I completely agree that consistency is actually winning half the battle when it comes comes to branding. And you rightly said that that sometimes involves some sacrifices. And you you are talking in the context of six different brands, different value propositions, different stories, different identities coming together. And clearly, there will be some very obvious synergies. Fantastic. But as you said, there are going to be some sacrifices as well. Now, I, I don't want you to necessarily sort of divulge any sort of privileged information or anything <laughs> like that, but I would be really interested to hear what were some of those sacrifices that need to be made and, and how did you manage that process? Because that's actually really key to a successful sort of rebuild of a brand post m is, you know, 
almost negotiating where the sacrifices are and where the sort of complementary elements are going to be. So as I said, you have to remove the emotional aspect and think brand audits. Yeah. What today still exists? You may have some solutions that were coming from smaller size companies that mm. people leave and breathe by, but that at the scale of things will not necessarily have the same impact. So I would say measure what the brand equity is. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. How yep. useful is it? Second, you can also think, as I said, the brand strategy is not something that happens overnight. It's something that is going to be evolutive. The way I approach it is my goal was to raise the activity brand and the activity platform. And underneath you had a few and a number of actually brands that are probably more powerful than activity itself and some that are important, but less critical. In that case, I would switch for what do they do? Rather than spending money in trying to position some brand or keep them alive, because you have to be aware that branding is an investment, I would just mention that they are still part of the tech stack or of the overall offering, mm -hmm. but name them but by what they do, their function yeah. rather than the brand. So they are some sort of switch. And regarding the activity story, there were already some decisions that were taken when I came back in 2020 to sort of turn the volume down. Mm -hmm. So instead of maybe mentioning the six or seven different brands, stop telling that story. Maybe that's worth it when it just happens. When it's been two years, you have to start moving forward and you progressively, not necessarily sunset, but as I said, from my perspective, in any case, the goal was to switch, mm -hmm. let down the name, especially when names, we are marketers, we can be quite creative. So you come with uh, very interesting names, but they don't say what you do. So to me, that's like, yeah, interesting, but not in that context. And the other thing is you also have to consider the um, at what level you're talking. Mm -hmm. When I'm thinking branding overall, I'm talking to my whole audience with all the different mm -hmm. segments, the different business solutions and all those. That doesn't stop people when they go out to reach to clients to talk more specifically about, oh, what I'm saying is this, this is what I'm referring to. But this is more to some extent, like one-to-one -one conversation, and you can still leverage and use the brand equity of some of the some of the names that are out there to make sure that clients have a good recognition of what you're talking about. But that should be more, as I say, a conversational level rather than big company-wide uh, strategy. And That's the way to and did you? Because I'm almost as you're describing sort of that measuring of the respective levels of sort of like brand equity, when and when not to leverage, you know, that relationship or asso association. Yes. Did you actually map that out? Was there a sort of a document or an asset which could be presented back to the business which showed yes. these are the respective levels? This is when you should leverage it. This is when you shouldn't leverage it. So, to some extent, in 2020, I had more of a express approach. Some yep. work had already been done. This analysis had been done with this sort of hybrid strategy of not completely sunsetting, but prioritizing some of the key brands mm -hmm. that were part of the, the ecosystem. From my perspective, what I did when I joined is really feed into the activity platform story, make that the core story. And the other ones were supporting stories, but mm -hmm. lead with the activity platform is about this. And of course, you can recognize there are some areas where you have this or that name, but mm. it was about building that above any others. And leveraging, especially when we were talking about specific business solutions in certain regions, yes, you'll mention a few of the names here and there. But if you go to our website today, high level, you won't see the specific brand names. You'll see activity platform. And then when you go and navigate into the website, you can still recognize them. 
Fantastic. Well, I mean, as I said, I've got a great image in my mind of almost like this ecosystem or solar system of the different brands and how their sort of like centers of gravity sort of like change, which I think is wonderful. We've kind of almost been talking around it here, but a big decision that needs to be made when you go through sort of merger and acquisition is do you retain the legacy brand or do you subsume it, which is almost that sort of do you go for a house of brands or a, a branded house? Within the particular sort of context of activity, was that a decision that had been made before you sort of got your hands on it and it was passed down to you in terms of which brands would be kept, which brands wouldn't? Or were you sort of empowered as the marketing lead to make that recommendation about how the brand should either be subsumed or retained? So <laughs> the funny thing in activity is really a fascinating story because the activity that I had to deal with in 2020 was already the second version of activity, yeah. which means there was a first activity that had four companies. Then there was a second activity that had the four companies plus Ulink and Nifix, like plus the company that mm. had been hired. And there was a question, should we go for Ulink and activity? Ulink has a new name of the whole or activity and whatever. I would say maybe for our specific case, it's not here that it's the most, I mean, not that it's not, not the most interesting, but it would, it would have been one or the other. And I don't think that there was ever a question of keeping both. But what I would say would be some important criteria to take and to keep in mind when choosing a branded house or a house mm -hmm. of brands is more what are we trying to deliver. If you are targeting different audiences with different set of business solutions, then I would say, especially with brand equity in mind, it's worth to consider more of a house of brands because they would be resonating and you'll be talking quite differently to yeah. your audiences based on what you have to offer. I think what makes sense for activity is that at the end of the day, even if it was bringing together different components of a overall trading and connectivity platform, they all made sense as one. And it was the same people that we were targeting or the same that could benefit from the consolidated offering. So mm -hmm. here to me, having a branded house was more and made more sense. And I think generally when we come to M&A, that has to be the question. Once again, even taking into account the brand equity of the sub-brands, it has to be a matter of what are we building one consolidated offering or are we having different offerings with different target audience and maybe even different regions? And Afterwards, this plus the analysis of the brand audit, this is what could help and direct the decision. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I'm just going to, I mean, I've got a couple of other questions I'm really keen yeah. to ask, but it's just given what we're talking about, Rhiannon Beeson has just asked the question, what did you use to, as your measures for the brand equity? And I think that, that's a really yes. good question. So we've talked around the importance of measuring brand equity and letting that inform the decisions we're making. Yes. So what did you use to yeah, make those judgments. Yes. I will actually give an, ex not give an example, but I'll use the most recent experience because ITVT has been successfully sold in 2021, which means that some job has been well done. And yes. now we are tackling another kind of um, post M&A sort of situation where ITVT is now part of a bigger company and where we are assessing how we incorporate all this equity of ITVT into something bigger that is, that is, they're going to leverage our international footprint and our trading and connectivity offering. So as part of this, 
each time, whether, and in this situation, it's not to become another fintech, it's more incorporating a bigger size fintech. Mm -hmm. The idea is we are completing the offering. Now, ITVT has a name, we have a sub-brand names. What do we do? The first thing that we did is what I mentioned earlier, go back to what is the value proposition because now it has evolved. So the branding has to evolve. What is the brand equity? And for this, I mentioned earlier, don't assume assess. We did the brand audit. That is a mix of internal and external stakeholders asking them questions on what is our offering? What do you need is, what do you think is is the, the, the key benefit from bring, um, bringing everything together? And we did that, as I said, internal and external through internal surveys and leveraging some due diligence that were done and also external survey. And here we will ask in a very neutral way, for instance, what do you recognize or what, how do you perceive this or that brand without saying in the beginning, this is to assess activity versus X, Y, Z, but just to really capture what is the understanding and the perception that, that our target audience has from our overall offering. And when you said you were getting that understanding from the target audience, did yeah. you use sort of a like a, a quantitative sort of methodology or is it more qualitative interviews that you were doing with your... It's a audience? mix. It's a mix. And this exercise that I'm mentioning, it's we did it in the course of six months. So it's always... I'm always in kind of situations where things have to be done and like now. So, <laughs> so I leveraged some of the work that had been done as part of the due diligence. So all the analysis that is done before acquisition is made. So mm-hmm. there was a mix of a lot of qualitative reviews and the survey that we did was more counting on quantitative, still a mix of qualitative and quantitative to really get capture what is the perception of people without them knowing that this is part of a specific due diligence or a specific acquisition. So it was a mix of the two, but qualitative, we got, I think, for the uh, external survey, over a hundred of the reviewed and validated decision makers in our industry, which is can seem small in the B2C world, but in the B2B, it's uh, it's quite significant. It's representative. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a, it's a common misconception when it comes to sample size with B2C versus exactly. B2B. But exactly. B2B, it's a much smaller pool, effectively. Um, so you can be more specific there. That, that's really interesting. I'm going to be really ambitious. I'm going to ask you another question. And I know we've only got t- two minutes to run here, but yes. I think it's really, really important for us to talk about it. I, M&A, you know, invariably involves the integration of different cultures, and you know, people with different ideas, different backgrounds. From your experience, how can brand play a positive role in creating a new cohesive identity for employees as well as the sort of corporation itself? Yes. I would say it shouldn't, like, it's not how can it play, it must play. It's become yes. even more a must-have. If you think of uh, employer branding, if you think now of all the, all the, trend, the trends around uh, diversity and inclusion, Mm -hmm. If you think of tone of voice, I'm in a situation where if you are thinking as a global company, but your tone of voice, you're thinking of, or you're speaking in a very much European way or US way, Mm -hmm. you're missing the point. But once again, diversity and inclusion, employer branding. And if you think now of ESG and all the trend, I think it's a must have. And I think that branding can play a capital role in it. When you think value proposition, I guess that we, not I guess, but we have to consider not only what product we're delivering, but what we stand for. Purpose mm-hmm. and the values that we represent, before it used to be a bit of a, I used to think, 
I didn't really like people just posting values because they weren't meaningful. I think that now they definitely have to resonate with how we portray ourselves, what tone of voice and what we stand for. So I, now it's becoming essential and having that great coordination. I mentioned for the value proposition, when we look at our offering, we have to talk with sales, with products. If we want to make sure that we have a good brand, we cannot not talk with our peers from the HR teams. And we have to make sure that what we say and how we build the brand is a story that serves everyone. It's a fantastic. Well, you, you actually saved me. I had a, another question I was going to ask, which was about that collaboration with HR. So, you know, we started the call talking around the importance of having collaboration with product. And I think, you know, we're now concluding it nicely with that sort of collaboration with um, HR as well, which is absolutely vital. And yes. it really is a, it's a change management program introducing a new brand. And you've absolutely. got to take the people with you because they're, they're going to be the, the representatives of, of the brand itself. Absolutely. I mean, thank you very, very much for giving up your time today to talk about sort of building a brand through M&A. I think there are lots of really interesting aspects which came out. But for me, I think there was probably two things. I think firstly, that importance at a very, very sort of like top level within the company is to have that clear vision, that clear sort of like guiding light um, for how the business should operate and therefore how the brand should be built and should be articulated. But the second aspect, and I think maybe even more important is, now I'm going to use slightly different language, but I think what you were saying is that importance of being market orientated in yes. your approach, rather than sort of building a brand based on the sort of the whims or the preferences of the organization itself. It's about having that really, really sort of analytical approach, understanding what it is your audience is saying, what the market actually needs and then making informed decisions about how you build your brand in sort of response and correspondence to what we're seeing within the marketplace. I think that that's absolutely critical. Yeah. So thank you, Morel. Thank you very much. B2B Marketing Solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us, head to allen-agency.com and make sure to search for Marketing Solved in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in B2B marketing. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.